I'm going to read from Psalms 23. If y'all have a, y'all can have a seat. Um, grab your Bibles, open to Psalms 23. And if you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand. Someone in the back will put one in your hand. I think they'll have there's words on the board there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, speak to us right now. Teach us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Be with Deemer as he brings your word to us. Many of us have read this psalm a million times. And I pray right now that it speaks something new to each one of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. There are uh, some of you in this room right now that are going through some extremely difficult times. You're experiencing some deep needs in your soul. You're struggling with fear. You're struggling with anxiety. You're dealing with uncertainty about the future. You've got such adversities and challenges going on that you don't even know how you're going to make it through the next 12 hours, let alone the next few months or years. And it's my hope that as we camp out on Psalm 23 for a little while this morning, your your faith and your hope and your strength are going to be increased, are going to be renewed. My prayer is that this word from God, as this word of God goes forth this morning, that this word will not return void, that it will sink into your heart, and that it will provide refreshment and nourishment and encouragement for your soul. And for those of you who are going through a difficult time, or or maybe not even a dark time, but maybe you've got new challenges, new opportunities that that are stirring up anxiety and uncertainty within you. If you're going through a time like that, uh, I pray that this morning will provide refreshment and nourishment and encouragement for your soul. And uh, if you're not going through a difficult time, chances are, right around the corner, a time like that's coming. And so I hope that as we meditate on Psalm 23 this morning, that the truths will sink into your heart, that you will hide God's Word in your heart, so that when those tough times do come, you will know your shepherd, and you'll be prepared and encouraged. As we approach Psalm 23, I think it's crucial for us, for us to understand that this psalm does not apply to everyone. The care, the provision, the security, the blessings that this shepherd provides in Psalm 23 are not being enjoyed by all, not being experienced by all. They are only experienced and enjoyed by, guess who? Who enjoys the shepherd's care? The sheep. Right? The sheep are the ones who experience the care that we see in Psalm 23. Now, so naturally, the next question would be, well, that's great. Who are the sheep? Who are they? Well, the Bible describes God's people 
as his sheep? Well, naturally, then the next question would be, well, who are God's people? God's people are those who follow God. God's people are those who have placed their faith in God. To put it in New Testament terms, the sheep of God are those who are in Christ, those who have placed their trust in Christ, those who have received Christ as Lord and as Savior. If that's you, then you are one of God's sheep, and Psalm 23 does apply directly to you. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not one of God's sheep, then I pray that this morning you would hear the voice of the shepherd beckoning you, that you would hear the voice of the shepherd calling you, and that you would come and be a part of the flock of God and enjoy all the benefits of being under the shepherd's care. Now, scholars are not sure exactly when David wrote this song. This, uh, did, he, did he write it when he was actually a shepherd? Did he write it perhaps when he was on the run from Saul, on the run from enemies, or did he write it sometime after he became king? That's not certain, but what is certain is that David, in penning this psalm, is drawing from uh, his own personal experience of being a shepherd and that he probably wrote this as he was going through a difficult and dark time in his life, a valley in his life. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 23, I just want to make four observations about this psalm. There are so many things. This psalm is so rich. I mean, we, we could spend weeks doing a series just on Psalm 23. But this morning, I just want to take a look at four things. One, the shepherd's personal care. Two, the shepherd's provision. Three, the shepherd's protection. And four, the shepherd's pursuit. Let's look at the first one. The shepherd's personal care. If you're going through a difficult time right now, I want you to know that, that your shepherd's care over you is extremely personal. I want you to get a handle on that. It's extremely personal. You know, there are many metaphors for God in the Psalms. And, uh, and, and they're, good, they're good metaphors, they're helpful metaphors, but at times they're somewhat distant metaphors. Uh, you have God as king. God is deliverer. God is rock. God is shield. But David, in pinning Psalm 23, reaches for the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor that he can think of. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, this might seem like an odd metaphor for us 21st century suburbanites, but this came quite naturally to David. David spent years looking after sheep. David knows what sheep are like, and David knows what a good shepherd is like. And we need to realize that sheep herding was and is different, I think, than the caricature that we have of shepherds shepherds in the Bible days especially. You know, you open up a child's story Bible or you look at your typical Sunday school flanograph, right? And you see a picture of David and the sheep. And what do you, what do you, what do you see in these nice, beautiful color photos? You've got, you've got this beautiful, I, I, idyllic scene, these beautiful fields. You've got one palm tree that's strategically placed right in the middle of the scene that just happens to be big enough for David just to lean back and rest on that tree. And, and he has no care in the world. It's a life of ease, a life of luxury, and he's just surrounded by these smiling sheep. And just everything is going great. And that's kind of the, the caricature that we have of, of shepherds, like he's on summer vacation. And yet, being a shepherd was hard work. There were long hours. There were many decisions to be made. He worked nights and weekends. And the shepherd was the sheep's guide, the sheep's 
physician, the sheep's disciplinarian, the sheep's thinker, the sheep's organizer, the sheep's protector. Sheep need to be under constant care. Sheep need to be given constant direction. They're not as smart as other animals, and they are incredibly helpless, and they, they required very intimate, direct, and personal care. Sheep have no homing instincts. You got a dog or a cat or a bird, they can find its way home. But a lost sheep is a lost sheep. If it strays, the shepherd better go out and find it, or else likely, sooner or later, it's going to wander into danger. And despite the images of these snow-white sheep you see in the kids' story Bibles, sheep are dirty. Sheep are messy. Sheep cannot and will not clean themselves. Isn't it most interesting that the Bible compares you to sheep and me to sheep? All of that to say, the work of the shepherd was hard, it was laborious, it, it was intensely personal. The shepherd had to be paying attention to them and on top of these sheep all the time. And David is saying that the kind of intimate care that a shepherd provides for his sheep, that's the kind of care that God is providing for me. And notice the personal pronoun that David uses in this, in this first verse. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. This really stands out because when you look at the Bible, the Bible has a strong emphasis on community, doesn't it? On a people, on the people of God. God throughout the Bible is forming a community of people for himself, set apart for himself. It's one of the big themes of, of the scriptures. I often emphasize in my own preaching, and my own teaching, there are no lone ranger Christians. When God redeems you, what does he do? He places you into a larger community, and you automatically have all these brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're not meant to go it alone. We are meant to be connected to one another and involved with one another. And you see God often throughout the Bible relating to man on a, on a corporate level. And so, in light of the corporate and community-oriented thrust of the scriptures, when you look at Psalm 23, it's striking to see all of these personal pronouns. David doesn't say, the Lord is our shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is Israel's shepherd. David would have been right to say those things, but as David is going through this difficult time, this dark valley, what really gives him strength and encouragement and comfort is to know that the Lord is his shepherd personally. Look at all the personal pronouns in, in Psalm 23. You may want to underline these or, or highlight these, but, but, look, but look here. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He says, I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for, for you are with me. You rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think that's about 17 times that David uses that, that, that first person pronoun there. The Lord is my shepherd. I want you to let that sink in. If you belong to God, if you're in Christ, you can echo that with David. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is D. Bryson's shepherd. The Lord is Steve's shepherd. 
and Mark's shepherd. The Lord is not just the shepherd of the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you. The Lord is your shepherd. You need to let that sink in, especially if you're going through a difficult time. You ever feel so small and so unimportant that you think, you know what? There are just so many big problems in the world. There are so many more significant people in the world that need God's attention. So many things happening right now that are so much more serious than what's going on in my little world. Why would God even pay attention to me? Why would he be bothered with me? Why would he notice me? But when we think like that, we're acting like we don't have a good shepherd. Our shepherd is good. And our shepherd is perfect. Bad shepherds may not know and pay attention to all their sheep, but a good shepherd does. You know, to the untrained eye, sheep pretty much look basically the same, right? You see one, you've seen them all. But the shepherd knows the sheep of his flock personally. In fact, the good, good shepherds know all of the little quirks and the traits of each of their individual sheep. This one has a, a limp. This one has a little nick in his ear. This one has a little dark patch right here. He knows the little traits, the little quirks of the individual sheep. The shepherd names his sheep. He knows them by name. But the only way a shepherd can get to know his sheep is to live with the sheep. He has to come close to them. He's got to roll up his sleeves and get down and dirty and messy with the sheep. A good shepherd is not aloof and distant. A good shepherd is near. A good shepherd is personal. The good shepherd knows each and every one of his sheep personally and his care for them is detailed and personal. And that's what your shepherd is like. That's what your God is like. He is your shepherd and he knows you. He cares about you. He loves you. And he is intimately aware and interested of every little detail in your life. And he is not afraid to get involved in the messiness of your life and of mine. Maybe you've gone through difficult times sometimes and, and you feel so alone. Even when you're surrounded by friends maybe who are encouraging you and who love you, you still to an extent feel alone. And you feel alone because even though your friends are doing everything they can to help you, they still don't fully know you. They still don't fully understand what you're going through. They still don't fully get what's going on in here. They don't know everything about you. They don't know what's going on when no one else is around, when no one else is looking. They don't know what's going on in the deepest recesses of your mind. But God does. God knows you. He understands what you're going through. He understands your troubles, your sins, your doubts, your fears, and he loves you anyway. And he is totally committed to your good. And he is totally committed to shepherding you. You are never alone. Paul in 1 Timothy 4 says, All deserted me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 28? He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to let that sink in. As God thinks of his people, he just doesn't consider the whole at the expense of the parts. He's concerned for each individual in his flock. He is concerned for you. And whatever you're going through right now, he cares. 
and he is working, and he is loving you, and he is personally shepherding you, you can count on the shepherd's personal care. Second observation. The shepherd's provision. David says, I shall not want. Now that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? I shall not want. You may say, Deemer, I want all the time. (laughs) I want food. I want shelter. I want my kids to be safe. I want to be godly. So what's David talking about when he says, I shall not want? Well, David is not saying that when the Lord is your shepherd, that just eliminates all of your desires. Some desires are good. Some desires are healthy. Some desires are godly. And if you go back into the Hebrew language and look at that phrase, I shall not want, what David is getting at is, I shall not lack. I shall not lack. Well, that solves one problem. David is not saying the sheep don't want or desire anything, but this raises another problem. What does David mean when he says, I shall not lack? Because we lack things all the time, don't we? Some of you are going through serious grief because of relational challenges with a friend or family member. There's a lack of peace and harmony in those relationships. If you have health difficulty, there's a lack of strength, isn't there? We experience lack all the time. So, so David, what are you talking about when you say, I shall not lack? I think we get a clue in another Psalm of David. Psalm 34. Listen to what David says. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So there's another clue. I think it would be right, it would be right to say that David is saying in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall lack no good thing. But again, you may feel that there are certain things you lack that are good. But I think as we probe a little deeper in the scriptures, we get some more specific answers. The Apostle Paul was a man who, on one level, lacked many things. Sometimes he was in prison, and he lacked freedom. Sometimes he was beaten for his faith, and so he lacked a measure of personal safety or physical protection. There were times when he was poor, There were times where he was on the run. And yet Paul writes, while he's in prison, I might add, in Philippians 4.9, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need. Paul is giving us a picture of God, of a God who will provide his people with every single thing that they need. They will lack no good thing that God thinks they need. God will not hold back on you. Whatever good thing you need for the next 45 minutes, God will give it to you. And whatever he does not give to you in the next 45 minutes, you don't need. 
And when those 45 minutes are expired, God will give you exactly what you need for the next moments after that, and the next hours after that, and for the rest of the day after that. And when tomorrow comes, God knows all of the challenges and trials that you will face. He knows the things that are coming your way that you don't have a clue about. But God knows, and he knows what you're going to need in those times, and you don't have to worry about tomorrow because God will give you everything you need tomorrow when you need it, and you will lack no good thing. This was true for Paul in a Roman prison. This is true for the Christian dying of HIV. This is true for the Christian in Saudi Arabia being persecuted for his faith. And this is true for you going through whatever struggles you're going through this morning. If you are in Christ, then God is your shepherd, and I promise you, I promise you that your shepherd will provide for you, that you will lack no good thing. He will look after you, and he will give you all that you need. And a part of that, I believe, has to do something with learning, has to do with learning the secret of contentment. You have here in Psalm 23... A picture of sheep that are not just being fed. They're not just being taken care of, having their basic needs met. But you have a picture here of sheep that are perfectly contented. And they have everything they need. David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep never lie down when they are hungry. They stand to eat. They lie when they are full and satisfied and content. Sheep don't lie down when they're anxious, when they're harassed, when they're in danger. To get a sheep to lie down, he has got to be in perfect peace, perfect security. He's got to have a sense of perfect safety. So when David compares himself to a sheep lying down in green pastures, David is telling us that he is utterly and totally content in the Lord. And he feels like he has everything that he needs, even as he's going through a dark valley. Because the Lord is his shepherd, he feels safe. Because the Lord is his shepherd, he feels satisfied. Because the Lord is his shepherd, he feels totally content and free of anxiety. Now, how do we experience that kind of contentment, that kind of freedom? If the sheep's contentment comes from feeling safe, secure, fed, where does our contentment come from? Our contentment comes from being satisfied in all that Jesus is for us. Our contentment comes from the knowledge of God's care for us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever shall come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. There is a hunger and a thirst that we have that nothing else in this world can satisfy. Only Jesus can. And our contentment comes from this, this confidence of God's care for us. Peter has an interesting uh, exhortation in 1 Peter 5, 7. He exhorts you to cast all your anxieties on God. And then he gives you the reason why. He says, because he cares for you. The care of God, the certainty of God's provision for you is the basis of being free of the burden of anxiety. If God were not a good shepherd, 
if God were not a perfect shepherd, if God was inconsistent in his care for you, if he was just kind of hit or miss, then you would have every reason to feel anxious. I'm, I'm not lying down in green pastures. I'm standing up, and I'm looking over my shoulder. Because I, I, don't, I don't trust my shepherd. I don't know if I can count on my shepherd this time. But isn't it good to know that you have a perfect shepherd that you can rely on every time? We can be content, and we can lie down and rest because we know that God will provide uh, for us everything that we need, including the strength to go through whatever difficulty we may be in. This is exactly the key to Paul's secret of being content no matter what. Philippians 4, uh, this is an amazing portion of Scripture. Philippians 4, it's all about God's provision. And, and, and God's provision does not look like what some of those TV preachers tell you what God's provision looks like. you got people running around on TV telling you, when the Bible says, I shall not want, when the Bible says that God will provide for all my needs, that means a fat bank account. That means a promotion at work. That means unlimited health and wealth. And yet listen to what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians 4, starting at verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, Paul, so what's the secret? Here it is. Paul lays it on you right now. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Part of the shepherd's provision for his sheep is guaranteed strength through life's difficulties. To know that your shepherd personally cares and is committed to you, to know that his, his care is so guaranteed that you can cast all your anxiety on him, to know that in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances, God promises you the strength to overcome the challenges in your life, the dark times in your life. He promises that these things will not overcome you. These things will not destroy you. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. And then right after that he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And if you are in Christ, you will overcome with him. His victory is yours. And to know those things brings about a sense of peace and contentment and security which leads right to my uh, third observation, the shepherd's protection. The shepherd's protection. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the Bible, in the mind of the ancient Israelite, valleys were often seen as places of danger. Sometimes the, uh, the enemies of Israel had chariots, which were the ancient day equivalent of tanks. In battle, being trapped in a valley was the worst place to go, uh, uh, go up against chariots. You don't want to be in a valley if you're on foot and there are chariots coming after you. That's why the Israelites liked to build their towns in, on the hillsides, in mountains. That gave the Israelites more of an advantage. And as we consider the sheep metaphor of Psalm 23, Valleys were often dangerous places for flocks. True, you could find water in the valley, 
but you never knew if there was a pack of wolves just around the corner or a bear or a lion roaming around. And, that, and, and by the way, bears and lions were common in ancient Palestine. There could be bandits or other dangers lurking in the shadows. So valleys were not typically seen as places of safety and security in those days. And this phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, is an interesting one uh, because in the Hebrew there's some ambiguity in how this is to be translated. And in fact, some of you may have translations that say something a little bit different than that. Um, the Hebrew text is written in all consonants. Uh, that, that's even how, if you, if you look at, uh, read most newspapers in Israel today, uh, they're going to be in all consonants. There's no vowels. And, and, uh, and people just learn to read Hebrew that way. They just mentally fill in the vowels as they go on. Well, this, this phrase in Psalm 23.4 about the valley of the shadow of death is interesting because it can be translated two different ways depending on how you put the vowels in between the consonants. If you put the vowels in one way, the phrase actually comes out something like the valley of deep darkness. You may have a translation that says, says that, or probably at least says that in the footnote in your Bible. Valley of deep darkness. Now this certainly fits in with the sheep metaphor. If you render the text that way, you have a picture of sheep walking into a scary and threatening environment. But if you put the vowels in differently, then the metaphor is pushed to the worst possible scenario. Okay, it's not just a deep, dark valley. That's bad enough. We're talking about the valley of the shadow of death. That's about as bad as it can get. That's probably the best translation. This, that rendering is the oldest and, and most traditional translation of the text. And I, I think da what David is saying is, is when I walk in the deepest, darkest valley, even when the worst of all scenarios is hanging over my head, even when death is casting a shadow over me, even then I will fear no evil. And you know what's interesting about this verse? This verse marks a transition in Psalm 23. I don't know if you caught this, how David is talking about God. If you look at the first couple of verses, the first part of Psalm 23, David is speaking of his heavenly shepherd in the third person. He's saying, the Lord, he's my shepherd. He does these things. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. But then there's an interesting transition in verse 4. You catch it, how he's now addressing God? When David gets to the part of the psalm where he's describing going through this dark valley of the shadow of death, David switches from the third person to the second person. And, and I think that's, um, that's, that's natural, isn't it? When things seem to be going well, when things are, are pleasant, I think we often... Uh, tend to talk about God in that third person form. He's blessing me. He's my shepherd. He's doing all these wonderful things for me. Isn't he great? But we see a shift in verse 4 where, where he shifts from talking about God to a direct cry to God. And this makes sense. It seems to me when we're going through the darkest periods of life, doesn't it make more sense to talk to God as opposed to talking about God? Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He doesn't say because he's with me. He switches 
to that, that second person pronoun. Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And because of that, David says he fears nothing. Not even death. And wouldn't you be, like to be like that? Wouldn't you like to fear nothing? To not even fear death itself? What's the, what's the secret to that kind of boldness? That kind of confidence? Why does David fear no evil? He tells us why. Look again in the text. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. David's walking through a dark time, a dark valley. There is danger, there is evil, and David is fearless. And he's fearless not because David is all big and bad and tough and strong and all that. It has to do with the fact that David is not alone. And the one who walks this valley with him is none other than Yahweh, the Lord of all. And if the Lord is with you, whom shall you fear? If God is walking with you, who in the world can touch you? Seriously. For anyone to get to you, they got to go through God. And we see this in the book of Job, don't we? We have the devil in Job, the most powerful of all the evil beings in the universe. And the devil wants to unleash his hellish power, his hellish fury upon Job, God's servant. That shouldn't be too tough, right? You got a human in the ring, you got, a you got the devil in the ring, and they're going to they're gonna pick power for power against one another. If that's going to happen, the human's got no chance. The human's a goner. You'd be a goner if you're just pitting your power against the devil's. So the devil wants to hurt Job big time, and so, so you think the devil, all the devil has to do is just snap his fingers and use his little powers or whatever. Begin afflicting Job. But that's not how the story of Job begins, does it? The story of Job begins with the devil having to get permission from God. Permission to harm Job. God, will you please let me do this? And God grants him permission, but even then puts certain restrictions and boundaries on what the devil can do. The devil can't do anything he wants to do. Now, how humiliating is that for the devil? Oh, and what's more, God gave the devil permission to harm Job, but guess what? In harming Job, God's good plans and purposes for Job came to fruition, and, and God ended up blessing Job in a huge way through his trials, and Job walks away from his experience a better and more blessed man than he was before his trial. The young lions suffer wanton hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And that was true of Job, and it's true of you. And even, even though you walk through the deepest, darkest valley, and some of you are in some pretty dark valleys right now, I know, you have no cause to fear, because God is walking in that valley right beside you. I was listening to a, uh, a pastor uh, who was sharing a story about visiting a friend on his deathbed. Visiting a friend, he's going to die any moment. What do you say to someone like that when you're going into that hospital room? And maybe some of you have been in that situation, and you know the 
awkwardness of that. What do you say? I'm sorry that this happened? I mean, what do you say? And, and this pastor walks into the hospital room and the dying man immediately points upward with a big smile on his face. And he says, I'm going to be with Jesus today. Suddenly, I'm sorry doesn't seem to be the right words to say in that situation. I'm jealous seems to be the more appropriate thing to say in that situation. But here was a man who was walking through that valley of the shadow of death and he was not afraid. He wasn't afraid because God was with him. And if you are God's sheep, the shepherd is with you too. Even the evil that is done to you is turned around by God for good. Look at what David says in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And here we really see a combination of God's protection and God's provision in the same verse. Here the image of the shepherd morphs into an image of God as a lavish host that has prepared this incredible banquet. And the enemies of David can't hurt him. All they can do is watch as the host lavishly pours out provision upon David. As they watch David enjoy the things that they won't enjoy. That, that, that lavishing is particular, particularly seen in the metaphor of an overflowing cup. I love that. Not only is God filling David's cup, but he's giving David more and more and more and more, and it's overflowing, and we just see this abundance of provision and grace and blessing being poured out upon David. And his enemies are on the outside of this feast looking in. When the Lord is your shepherd, when the Lord is your host, even when you're going through a dark time, even when you have enemies, even when death itself threatens you, you are safer than you think you are. And God is utterly committed to doing you good. And that leads to my next observation, my fourth observation, and that's the shepherd's pursuit. Talked about the personal care of the shepherd, the provision of the shepherd, the protection of the shepherd, now the shepherd's pursuit. Look at what David says at the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, David says. Now when we read that phrase, follow me, we, we kind of tend to think of a, of a lagging behind. You know, kind of a... Um, Barney Castle, come up here for a second. We usually get kids for the kids' illustration. Now we're doing Barney Castle. He's pretty young. So you, you just, just walk over there. Just, just walk, okay? When we think of follow, like, we're, we're kind of like, you know, this is what we're thinking of following. Just kind of kind of lagging on behind, you know? <laughs> you know? You look back and kind of, hey, you know, hey, way back there. All right, now, now what I want you to do is walk. And, uh, and, and, and really what, what, what David is getting at here by follow me is more of a pursuit. Okay? That, that's, that's the connotation. So start walking. Walk faster. Walk faster. Yeah, okay. That is, that is what David is getting at. Okay? He's not saying, I mean, come on, how encouraging would it be? Surely goodness and mercy 
are lagging behind me all of the days of my life. That's not very encouraging, is it? All right, so when David's talking about following me, this goodness and mercy of God following me, he's talking about an intense pursuit. If you, if you belong to God, he is all over you with goodness. He is all over you with mercy. You can't get away from him. God's not lagging behind. Oh, I know his goodness and mercy are somewhere back there. No, that's not how God is. That's not how God is with his sheep. He is, he is intense about staying on top of you. You won't get any breathing room with God. He's after you. And he's after you not to harm you, but to do you good and give you mercy. And God says this pursuit of God, or God says, or David says this pursuit of God shall last all the days of his life. But God's goodness and mercy goes beyond this life. Here where David says at the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, if you belong to God, this goodness and mercy and love and this care and protection and provision, this not lacking anything, all of these things will go on for you forever and ever and ever and ever. This is never going to stop. This is never going to end. That is incredibly encouraging to me. I hope it is for you as well. But how can we know this for sure? How can we know that there's not going to come a point where his pursuit of us will stop? How, how do you know this? How do we know that God won't get tired of us and just let us go? And how, how, how can it be possible that we who are sheep who, who often stray, who run from the shepherd, who are wicked and stubborn, someone like me, how can I be... How can, I, how can I be sure that this will go on and on? Someone like me who makes stupid mistakes and sins over and over and over again. People as messed up and rebellious as we are. How can we confidently say and believe and know that he will dwell, that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that his pursuit of us will never end? I'll show you how. A few scriptures to take you to. I can, I'll just read them to you. You don't have to go there. But John 10, John 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. He says he is the good shepherd. You want to know who the Psalm 23 shepherd is? You want to know who Yahweh is? Okay, David begins his psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord in, in your Bibles is in all caps. That means in the Hebrew, it's the name of God. It's Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. That name Yahweh means I am. And Jesus in John 10 says, I am, no coincidence there, I am the good shepherd. I am Yahweh. I am that good shepherd that David was talking about. And what does Jesus go on to say in John 10? He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One reason you can know that God will never let you go is that the shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. And not only has he laid it down, but he has taken it back up again. 
And he did this all for you. He did this all for the sheep. The sheep, per, the shepherd purchased you with his blood and the price he paid was too high for him to let you go. Now listen to what else Jesus says in John 10. I love this. Listen to this. John 10, 27. Jesus says, and again, he's, he's continuing to des- describe himself as the good shepherd. He says, my sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Another reason you can know that God will never let you go is because Jesus said so. And I just realized that rhymed. Pretty cool. Another reason you can know that God will never let you go is because Jesus said so. Jesus said, I give the sheep eternal life. Okay, now think about this. If the life you have as a sheep is eternal, then how are you going to lose it? That doesn't make any sense. If you lose it, the life you had was never eternal in the first place. But more than that, Jesus says the sheep will never perish. Did you hear that? Jesus, your shepherd, is telling you that you will never perish. I want you to let the weight of that promise sink in. If God did release you, if he did let you go, you will perish. And if God did let go of you, you would not be in the house of the Lord forever. You would be in hell forever. If God did let go of you, then Jesus' promise that you will never perish is broken. And Jesus never, ever breaks his promise. So take heart. You will live and not die. And then Jesus says that no one will snatch the sheep out of his hand. Did you you read that? He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. It should be enough that Jesus says you'll never perish. But Jesus pushes the sheep imagery further. What about wolves? What about predators? What about Satan? What about his demons? Maybe... You say, I won't perish, okay, that's great, but maybe I'll be stolen away from God. Maybe I'll be be snatched out of God's hand. Nope. Won't happen. You are safe and secure with the Good Shepherd. Jesus makes that promise, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, some people take that verse and they try to get real cute with it and say, well, Jesus says no one will snatch the sheep away, but what if I choose to walk away? Huh? What if I choose to walk away? And my response to that is, knock it off. Just stop it. Stop trying to be clever and inserting your man-centered, I can lose my salvation if I choose to, theology into the text. The point of the whole section is that Jesus is a good shepherd. He's a perfect shepherd. And he will never let you go, period. But if that weren't enough, If you need another reason why you can know that your shepherd's pursuit of you will never end, that he will never let you go, it's actually found back in Psalm 23 in a statement that probably gets overlooked more often than any other statement in Psalm 23. Verse 3, David says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why does God act towards his sheep the way he does? 
text says, he restores my soul. In other words, he restores my life. He saves my life. And not only does he restore my life, not only does he save me, but then he leads me in paths of righteousness. That's a picture of salvation, isn't it? God saves you, he redeems you, he makes you new creation, and then after he justifies you, what does he do? He sanctifies you, he begins to make you righteous. He leads you in paths of righteousness. Now, why does he do this? David says why? For his name's sake. God has many reasons for doing anything that he does. But you know what's at the top of God's priority list? God is number one on God's priority list. God's glory and God's name are number one on God's priority list. Not Deemer Webb. Not Harbin's Church. Does God love Deemer Webb? Yes. Does God love you? Absolutely. No question about it. He loves you more than you love you. But you know what? Deemer Webb is not at the center of God's universe, and neither are you. God is at the center of God's universe. I know I got a little antsy earlier when I was talking about you're man-centered, I can lose my salvation if I want to, theology. But you know what? Sometimes we act like this whole thing is about us, guys. We really do. I know I do sometimes. We, we act like we're the main character in the story, and God and everyone else are just supporting characters in that novel. But you know what? It's not about us. It's all about Him. Isaiah 48, <clears throat> Lord says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. And all throughout the Bible, we see this intense concern that God has for his name and his glory. And you know what? That's exactly how it should be. Because if God cared more about the name and the glory of Deemer Webb than about his own, we'd all be in a heap of trouble. And God would be committing idolatry, which he can never do. And there are a number of reasons why God's commitment to his name and to his glory is good news for us. We can't delve into all those right now, but let me leave you with one. In light of, in light of, of uh, Psalm 23, and in light of the question, how can we know that God will never stop pursuing us, and that his care and compassion and his shepherding will go on forever and ever and ever? And one of the main reasons why is that God's glory, God's reputation, God's honor, and God's name are bound up in faithfully providing for you. If it is true that he is so committed to his glory, guys, there is, there is no way that he will allow himself to be dishonored by losing a single sheep. He will get more glory by saving every one of them. Jesus says in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Therefore, you can declare with David, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the glory of God is at stake, and His glory always results in the good of His people. So if you're going through a challenging time, a difficult time, a dark time this morning, I want you to be encouraged by knowing that you have a shepherd, a good shepherd, who watches over you. The Lord is your shepherd. His care for you is personal. He knows you by name. He cares about and is involved in every detail of your life. He provides for you. He will make sure that you lack no good thing. Even in the midst of your trial, He protects you. Even as you're walking through the dark, shadowy valley, you don't have to be afraid because he's right there with you and he pursues you to do good and to care, and, and to care for you. His goodness and mercy will never stop. And if that were not good enough, and I'm closing, if that were not good enough, one day you're going to meet your shepherd face to face. Revelation, look at Revelation says, Therefore they, they being the people of God, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that's the hope that you have this morning. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, you can be sure that one day you will meet your shepherd face to face. You won't hunger. You won't thirst. Your shepherd will guide you to springs of living water, and he will personally wipe away every tear from your eye. What a good shepherd we have. What a great God we have. Now for our response time as we're about to move into our final song, If you're a believer this morning, if you're one of God's sheep, I just want you to worship God with a glad and thankful heart. I want you to meditate on your shepherd as we sing. I want you to ask God to calm your fears, to calm your anxieties. Ask him to shepherd you this morning in whatever you may be going through. He is here right now, and he is available to you. Trust the shepherd. If you're going through difficulty, you can pray where you are, If you want to pull me aside, you want me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to do that. I would love to do that. It would be my honor to pray with you. But maybe you are not one of God's sheep. Maybe you haven't received the Good Shepherd as Lord and Savior. Listen, if you hear his voice this morning speaking to your heart, then now is the time for you to come to him once and for all. Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death for sinners. And Jesus came out safely on the other side of that valley when he walked out of the tomb three days after his execution. Jesus did that for his sheep. And if you come to Jesus today and receive him as Lord and Savior and Shepherd, you are guaranteed care and provision in this life. You are guaranteed safe passage to the valley of the shadow of death at the end of your days, and you're guaranteed a dwelling place in the house of the Lord forevermore. Jesus says... You do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them 
and they follow me. Do you hear the shepherd's voice calling you this morning? If so, then follow the shepherd starting today. And I would be more than happy to talk with you more about that if you do hear his voice this morning. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You are so amazing. You're so loving. You're so compassionate. Oh God, you love to lavish your blessings and your mercy upon the sheep. Thank you so much for that. God, I pray that if we are struggling with anxiety and fear this morning, if we're going through a rough time, if we don't we don't know how we're going to make it through the next day or the next several days. God, I pray that you would help us to meditate on Psalm 23. Let those words sink into our heart, God, and build within us a hope and a peace and a confidence that you are our shepherd. You will always provide for us. You'll always care for us. You'll never let us go. And God, I pray for those who may be here that are not sheep. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that they would hear your voice. And I pray that this morning they would come and be a part of the flock of God. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for never letting us go. In Jesus' name, amen.